Good morning, everyone. I, I guess you can hear me. I can hear myself. So, <clears throat> uh, turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter one. Uh, we will be looking at verses nine through eleven, but I'm going to take a running start and start in verse three and go all the way to verse eleven. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version. We give thanks to you, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it uh, also... Uh, as it also among you since uh, the day you heard and knew the grace uh, of God in truth, as you learned, also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. And verse nine uh, with our new text today. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Uh, Father, thank you for the day that you have made. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit uh, move among us uh, now and open our eyes uh, to all that you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Welcome again to Cornerstone Bible Church. Happy Kitty Hawk Day. 120 years ago today, two brothers from Dayton conquered flight. And they became prominent in aerospace. Several had tried to fly, uh, but Wilbur and Orville were the only ones to do it successfully and not die trying. Eventually, when others figured out what the Wright brothers did, Orville and Wilbur would be eclipsed in knowledge and technique and technology. They would remain respected for their achievement but aircraft technology would soon go far beyond the motorized box kite. In the epistle to the Colossians, Christ is presented by Paul as being preeminent in all things. Even today, many pretend to be superior uh, to Christ, as in false religions, false teachings, personality cults, etc. But Christ is preeminent. Uh, He's not just prominent, Uh, he's not just one among many, he is the one and only. If you were in my discussion group two weeks ago, you've already heard most of this rant, but I'm going to say it again anyway. Uh, The theme verse for Colossians is chapter 1, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Uh, preeminence is not a word that we use very often today. And so uh, some translations like the NAS, which are good translations, use the term first place 
instead of preeminence. Uh, as I said, I like the NAS, the New American Standard. In times past, when I've taught in a church that was primarily Old King James oriented, uh, I would use the words from the NAS to translate into uh, and explain the modern English. However, this is one place uh, the NAS does not use the best word. Uh, what's the matter with giving Christ first place? First place implies second place and third place and so on. Uh, but no one holds a candle to Jesus Christ. Christ is not just prominent as in one among many. He is preeminent, which means the one and only. Christ is not just prominent in salvation as in one savior among many possibilities or choices. He is preeminent in salvation. He is the one and only way to the Father, according to John 14, 6. There is no other name given by which we may be saved. Christ is not just prominent in the church. He is preeminent in the church. All the riches of wisdom and knowledge are found in him, uh, not just some of the riches uh, or many of the riches. We don't need human wisdom in the form of psychology or sociology or anthropology or whateverology. Uh, the study of anything without the knowledge of God and without the reality of sin uh, tends to make us overeducated stupid. Uh, stupidology, is that a, is that a term? Uh, we, can, we can make that one up. You need Christ and Christ alone. Christ alone is preeminent in all things. If you look for wisdom and knowledge outside of Christ, you're off the rails. Congratulations. We all need to turn our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He alone authored our salvation. He alone sustains it. He alone finishes it. We can't make too much of Christ. We have only begun uh, in this short lifetime to plumb the depths of the unsearchable riches uh, that are only found in Christ Jesus. All right, rant is over. Uh, let's uh, look at our, uh, briefly look at verses uh, three through eight, which Brother Alvin covered last week. Uh, Paul is glad to hear of the faith uh, of the church at Colossae. Uh, he got the inside scoop from Epaphras. Uh, so he knows their faith is real. Uh, but just because you're doing great today uh, doesn't mean uh, that you'll continue uh, to do well tomorrow. Any denomination, any group, any local fellowship is only one generation, generation away from complete apostasy. No one is immune, no one is bulletproof, no one is above going off the rails in short order. That's why epistles like Second Peter, Jude, and Colossians, among others, are important reminders to stay anchored in the truth of the gospel at all times. Back in the day, the Ivy League schools were founded as seminaries, uh, and having a degree from them meant something. Today, they are cesspools of wokeness. Uh, the drift didn't start overnight. It started when someone said, did God really say uh, you know, Genesis 3 all over again. And down the slide they went, 
And it's a low, it's a long, slow death spiral. So let's uh, turn to our text. Uh, Beginning in verse 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. This passage, uh, verses 9 through 14, actually, are one of Paul's so-called prison prayers. Today we will start looking at this prayer, and Lord willing, Brother Doug will finish uh, the prayer next week. Uh, Other examples of prison prayers are found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 21, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, and Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 11. Uh, We will look at those verses in detail uh, during our discussion time. When you don't know what to pray, when you don't know how to pray for someone, uh, you cannot go wrong with praying any of these prayers. Uh, They are uh, vitamin-packed, if you will, uh, and powerful uh, in uh, any and all circumstances, regardless of circumstances, maybe because of circumstances. All of these prayers are for our spiritual well-being and our walk with the Lord. Yes, Aunt Matilda's bunion is a matter of prayer, uh, but Aunt Matilda needs to walk closer to the Lord as well, bunion or no bunion. Everything that brings God, uh, that God brings into our lives is another opportunity to trust him and him alone. Uh, Continuing in verse 9, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, Uh, Do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding. Uh, Let's slow down and look at uh, the words Paul uses here. Uh, To be filled means to be controlled. Uh, Ephesians 5.18, ooh, feedback. Uh, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, when someone is drunk, uh, the alcohol takes over. Uh, whatever the type of alcohol, the person is no longer in control. The same holds true for psychedelic drug use. Uh, if you have uh, opportunity to spend time at a local rescue mission, uh, you will meet those who are on the wrong side of that experience. Uh, rather, we are to be filled, that is, controlled by what? the knowledge of his will. So here's the million-dollar question. What is God's will? Uh, Scripture addresses what God's will is, but not always in the way uh, we want to know. Uh, We ask questions like, where should I go to college? Uh, What should I major in? Uh, What job should I take? Who should I marry? Uh, where should I live? What church should I attend? Etc. Etc. Uh, these are all important questions, and the answers are different for everyone. Uh, but the principles are all the same. The scriptures concerning God's will are more concerned about your relationship with the Lord than with the nuts and bolts of should I turn right at the stop sign or turn left at the stop sign. First Timothy two four says. God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. If you're not saved, you're not even in the discussion here. 
Uh, now I assume that everyone sitting here is saved, and maybe that's a bad assumption. Uh, but for the most part, I'm assuming I'm preaching to the choir. Uh, the next verse to consider in regards to God's will is uh, found in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. The context of this verse is sexual immorality, but the big point is God wants you to grow up into Jesus, to be conformed to his image according to uh, passages like Romans uh, 8.29, uh, in Romans 12, 1 and 2. The last verse we'll look at according uh, and regarding uh, God's will is 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God wants us to be saved. God wants us uh, to be sanctified. And he wants our hearts in thanksgiving. God's will isn't so much about what we do or what choices we ought to make as it is about our relationship uh, with, with God himself. When the foundation is correct, the rest of the house will come in line. The more we are conformed to his image, the better choices we are likely to make. That doesn't mean that we are foolproof or bulletproof, uh, but we're headed in the right direction. Uh, God gives us a lot of leeway in the choices we make. Uh, uh, but uh, as long as our heart is aimed at him, we are much better at making good choices. God is more concerned about uh, who we are rather than what we do. When we are who we're supposed to be, we will do what we're supposed to do. Back to our text, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This only reinforces Paul's point that we need wisdom from God and the wisdom of God. Uh, Psalm uh, 111, verse 10, it's very familiar. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is the kind of wisdom that only comes when Christ is preeminent in us. Thank God for wise counsel, for godly friends and family that know us and can speak into our lives. But even all of that depends on the wisdom that only comes from God. And not everyone is on top of that all the time, whether on the giving end or the receiving end. Uh, We still need to put our trust in God at all times. The word understanding here, uh, used here and used elsewhere in Scripture, speaks of intellectual understanding. Uh, And since Paul specifically says spiritual understanding, it is uh, used in the sense of the ability to connect the the dots and rightfully consider all the information available in a spiritually realistic way, Uh, sort of a sanctified uh, having your head straight if you will. Now to verse 10. Uh, This begins, uh, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Uh, To walk with the Lord is a common Hebrew idiom, meaning to live your life according to godly principles in relationship with the Lord. And to walk worthy of the Lord, 
Being worthy isn't something we do or conjure up within ourselves. To be worthy is something that God and God alone uh, imparts to us. He alone is worthy, and we are in Christ, so we become worthy. Uh, My favorite illustration of this is uh, my ability to fly. I can flap my wings all I want. I can run down uh, the tarmac at Dayton International, uh, uh, but I'm not going to I'm not going to fly. I'm going to hit the fence before I hit anything else. But I can get in an airplane. And because the airplane can fly, I can fly. Simple illustration. That is how uh, we live the Christian life. Only Christ can live the Christian life. And we are in Christ. Thus, uh, in him, Uh, We can do everything he asks us to do. Uh, Again, uh, this all points to Paul's desire that we have a living, active relationship with the Lord. Back to verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. How do we please the Lord? Consider uh, for a moment Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This verse tells us a couple things about pleasing the Lord. First, uh, faith, that is saving faith, is absolutely essential to pleasing God. Uh, Without it, uh, the discussion has not begun. Second, there are two conditions necessary for pleasing God. Uh, According to the verse, we must believe that God exists. If you do not believe God exists, then you take yourself out of the discussion right from the start. And uh, the second, uh, second condition, we must believe that God rewards those who diligently seek him. If you say, there is a God, but he doesn't care about me, uh, then you short-circuit the process right from the start. When we believe God is, when we believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him, then there is a possibility of relationship with the Lord. Those are, those are the basic. Uh, then we can please him when we come to him by faith. Finishing verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. Mm. When we are right uh, in right relation to God, we will be fruitful. The imagery is of uh, John 14 through 16, of abiding in Christ uh, as the branch abides in the vine. As uh, the branch is dependent on the vine uh, for everything, uh, so we are dependent on Christ for every, uh, everything good that comes out of our lives. The result of that abiding relationship with Christ will be good works, which uh, may include, but are not limited to, exercising your spiritual gifts, uh, helping those in need, giving a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord, 
there are only about a million applications of, uh, of all of this. When we are saved, when we are sanctified, when we are abiding in Christ, there cannot help but be fruit. Uh, there cannot help but be evidence of our faith lived out. Finishing verse 10, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The word knowledge in the Old Testament and the New Testament speaks of an experiential knowledge of God, not just an intellectual knowledge of God. Uh, this is not just some philosophical, philosophical uh, exercise with no point or application, uh, but a tasting and experiencing of the goodness and grace of God in all aspects of life. Uh, the Greek word that uh, Paul uses here is uh, epigenosis, if you will. That's not the proper pronunciation, but I don't care. Uh, no, one, no one here speaks Greek. Um, uh, gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, is the standard word for knowledge in the Greek, uh, in Greek New Testament. Um, but Paul puts the prefix epigenosis, uh, as in uh, super-duper knowledge. Uh, the people of the time uh, in Coloss and in several other places uh, were susceptible to uh, thinking, oh, I have a secret knowledge of God. I have, I have a, a, a knowledge of God that none of you have. Ha uh-huh. uh, kind of deal. And uh, Paul is making the point in this word that uh, as believers uh, who have the Holy Spirit in them, we have uh, not just a knowledge, but we have a super knowledge. We have uh, a knowledge that comes only from God himself. Uh, and that's not to be kept. That's not, not a matter of pride. That is uh, knowledge that is to, to be shared uh, with all those who call on the name of the Lord. Uh, it goes way beyond mere head knowledge uh, to uh, something we have experienced in our walk with the Lord. This implies that you cannot come to the end of God uh, and that there uh, is never a plateau achieved that we cannot go up higher still uh, in experiencing the goodness and grace of God. We will never come to the end of Christ. After a million billion years in heaven, we will never come to the end of Christ. Uh, what's, what's the verse in uh, uh, Amazing Grace? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And now, verse 11 Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power. This speaks of spiritual strength, uh, not just physical strength. God can and God does provide physical strength when necessary. But the sense here is spiritual strength. And in context, strength to know God. Strength to know God's will. Uh, strength to walk worthy of God. Uh, strength to bear fruit in good works. Uh, 
strength to increase in the knowledge of God, strength to do everything that fully pleases God. From Romans, we learn that Christ is our Savior. If you haven't figured that out from pastor's preaching, then you need to go back and revisit all three years of uh, the sermons. From 1 Corinthians, we learn that Christ is Lord over all our problems. <laughs> the, Lord, uh, the Lord used Corinth as the poster child for uh, all the problems that a church could ever have in principle. And the Lordship of Christ was the answer to all of those problems. When Christ is Lord, we can deal with our problems. From 2 Corinthians, we learn that Christ is all-sufficient to strengthen us. Uh, In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, God says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul concludes in the following verse, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Christ is preeminently strong, and Paul is in Christ, and so are we. Uh, I forget where it says it, but the verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things that please God uh, through Christ who strengthens me. And to finish verse 11, uh, with all strengthened, with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. What's the difference here between patience and long-suffering? Patience is used here in the sense of dealing with people. Long-suffering is used in the sense of dealing with circumstances. Uh, uh, And they are both used in the sense of strength to endure trials. In both aspects, we need the glorious power of God to deal with everything and everyone that God brings into our life. And when that happens, God provides joy. Uh, That is joy regardless of circumstances, not because of circumstances. Uh, uh, And that's, that's the kind of joy that Nehemiah had and could say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. We can rejoice that God is doing a work in us, and we can rejoice that God is doing a work through us. Isn't that a neat prayer, to pray for someone? And the best part is, we're only half done. Uh, as I said, Brother Doug will we'll, uh, finish, uh, finish this prayer next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, again for your word. Father, thank you for everything uh, you, uh, that you revealed to us about yourself in your word. Lord, thank you uh, for your strength, for your power, uh, for all the good things you, you supply uh, to point us to yourself and to uh, cause us to walk in a way that's uh, worthy of you. Lord, we ask uh, your blessing now on our discussion time. Uh, Lord, that you will uh, help us all understand everything uh, that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.